Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Hey, there we go. Well, we, as you see, are starting a brand new series called Travel Light, and we're talking about leaving some luggage behind. Hopefully that literally doesn't happen to you like we just saw in the video. But what we are going to talk about is some practical things that we maybe need to leave behind as we're entering into the Christmas season. If we're going to enjoy the season and also remember the reason for the season, I think there's some things that we need to let go of that will not only position us for this time and season, but also maybe even moving us into 2023 so we can begin 2023 in a strong way, maybe even stronger than the way that we're leaving 2022. So we're going to talk about what it means to travel light, and we're going to talk about letting go of some things but I need, uh, I need some people to help me illustrate where we're going to be today. And uh, so I really, I need four people, four people specifically, who are oh, really competitive, like I'm competitive. We had a great conversation. Are you competitive? Come on up here. Yeah, 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 you're good. You're good. Come on up. Who else is competitive? Raise your hand. Trina is very competitive. Come on up, Trina. You are very competitive. <laughs> Jeff just said you're very competitive, and Hunter helped, so you are very competitive. Uh, who else is very competitive? Over here, anyone? Come on, Shayla, get up here. You're very competitive. Oh, and Paula, too, you're very competitive. You love Hunger, Hunger, Hippo. Today's Paula's birthday, everybody. Come on. Yeah, and it's also their anniversary, so today you can tell them happy birthday birthdayversary, I think, and put that all together. Um, now, I want you guys to know, we're just going to play a simple game. We're going to be friendly, okay? We're, we're at church. You do have an audience, and, uh, but you're going to play just a simple game of Hungry, Hungry Hippo. Do you guys understand the rules of Hungry, Hungry Hippo? Your attention, please. I'm the host here. Okay. You, you know how to play the game, right? You know how to play the game, right? I don't want anybody saying, well, I didn't know the rules. That's why I lost. Okay, so we're not going to do that. So you guys are locked in. Step up. You can pick your favorite color or the color that's left. All right. There you go. No, don't, 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 no, no, that ain't the way it goes, Shayla. You got to play by the rules. She's like, she's waiting to hit that paddle. All right. We're going to do a little countdown. I want you guys to have your hands, hands like back behind you. Now that table is kind of rickety. So this is going to go really bad if you hit it really hard. And we're not putting this thing back together, Okay. And I'm not going to be able to put this train on the tracks if you mess up my message. No pressure. Jesus is watching. No problem. All right. All right. So we need a countdown. Who's going to count it down with me? Five, four, three, two, one. There you go. Still going strong. Still going strong. Ooh, ooh, all over the floor. We have one. Oh, hold up right there. Let's see what we have left. All right, do me a favor. Count the ones that you have in your, in your spot there. No cheating. Don't count double. I realize we're Baptists, but don't, don't double it. I know how that works. We don't do that around here. All right. So there you go. Count yours. You got to count. That was yours, right? Oh, you already did? Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. Good. All right. Trina has so many that she's having a hard time even getting them out of the machine. 
uh, Jeff Hunter, you were right. All right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, so how many do you have? Nine, how many? Seven, okay. Eleven, ooh, looking strong. Eighteen, Trina wins. Thank you so much. We have a winner. Hey, you guys do me a favor. Could you take that and just carry that right over there? The table's kind of rickety. Just right over there, anywhere. Oh, there we go. We may find some later. Hopefully we don't find them with the vacuum. Thank you so much. Happy birthday anniversary again. All right, what about give it up for our four contestants. Didn't they do a great job? I think we should pray and go home. We've had a good time, right? We're good. Uh, that illustrates the point, really, of what we're going to talk about today because although that's a great game, the goal of that game is just to get as many of those little balls as you can and, and to get as many, and even if you have to take away from somebody else's potential, you kind of take it for yourself. And if we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, we have to understand this. We cannot hungry, hungry, hippo life. We can't because it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to just try and take and take and take and absorb and grab and grab and grab. And that somehow deep within us, we think if we can just fill ourselves with things and experiences and money and all the things that money buys, if we can just do these things in some way, in some fleshly way, we think that that's going to actually satisfy our deepest needs. And we use money to do in wealth and possessions and just things generally to do so many things for our life that actually doesn't bring about what we think that it's going to bring. See, this is what we tend to do. As life goes, we tend to accumulate things. We, we accumulate just over a period of time. We accumulate, and when we accumulate, we, what we're doing is we think that these things provide comfort. So we gather things, and we gather things, and, and, and every time we buy it, we feel good in that moment, so we accumulate. Another thing that we do is we try and mend wounds by buying things because we have hurts in this life. Madison, this is on the screen, by the way. This is what we do. And then also, anytime that we have a sense of disappointment, we tend to, we, we maybe go on a shopping spree. I'm going to fix my life by buying things because although I feel bad about this situation or I feel bad about what's happening in that relationship, I feel bad about what's going on in my walk with God, I can just band-aid that with just going to the mall or going to the store and going to Amazon and buying something. And what it is, it's a way of just saying, hey, I'm disappointed in life, but, but I'm just going to gather a few things to make me feel good in this moment. And we do this, we accumulate things. It's so easy to accumulate. It's so easy to, to try and mend our wounds with buying things. It's so easy to, to be disappointed with life and then think that if we just buy things, that we'll feel better, that we'll be better, that that will bring about the life that we want. And there's a lie here that's just, that says this, that more is better. But that's simply not true, is it? You see, more is not always better. Better is better. And those are not the same thing. And it's even beyond just wealth and money and those kinds of things, or just even things itself. It's, it goes like this. Whatever you did last year needs to be even bigger than what you did in the previous year. That your house needs to be even bigger than the last house you lived in. That, that your clothes need to be a name brand. And you need to have more of them than what you have in the closet right now. You, when you replace your car, you need to upgrade your car. You can't go, you can't go straight across from where your, your level of car is. You have to upgrade that because you're getting a new car. 
or the thought of, well, well, I know we took this trip or we took that vacation, but next year we need to make that trip or vacation even bigger. Or maybe we need to take more of them. So it's like more is more. More is not always better. And it even goes beyond of those things as saying, well, if your kids are in one sport or one activity, well, why couldn't I just allow them to be in more and more and more and more and more activities? Sadly, we, we underappreciate the damage these behaviors cause, and we overestimate how we will feel if we get what we want. We underappreciate the damage that all of these behaviors cause to us, and yet at the same time, we over estimate how we will feel because we think it's just going to be the ultimate payoff if we do these things it's going to be awesome and yet what we don't think about is who is it that we become if we get what we want there's a person in the bible who had it all his lifestyle was lavish he had he had women he had everything that the, the world could provide And it's a really interesting storyline. If you go into Ecclesiastes chapter 4, you see that Solomon is the one I'm making mention of. And Solomon was a very wise man, not wise in his own right, wise because God had deposited wisdom in him that was so profound and so different than even the, the wise people in his day and and people used to go around and they used to sit at Solomon's feet because what he was saying was like it was just a deposit from heaven and it was and he had experienced all these things and he's known very well for writing most of Proverbs and Proverbs is just a collection of wise sayings that can be used for generally every situation of life and no matter how old you are uh, or whatever Wherever, whatever country you live in and whatever era of time you live in, these things are so valuable, these, these principles. Ecclesiastes is a little bit different. People say that Ecclesiastes is a little negative. It, it reads a little negative. It's because when Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, he's dissecting things in life that people try to gain satisfaction from. And he just, one by one, he grabs these things. And he, and he basically says... He says that these things, whether it's politics or whether it's wealth or, or whether it's relationships or whatever it is, he says, none of these things will bring about what you want. And he's saying, from a firsthand perspective, he's like, I've chased after all these things. And now I'm, I'm older, I'm, I'm longer in the tooth, so to speak, and I'm further in years. And now I have this perspective of life and eternity. And now I'm looking at my life through, through the lens of eternity and my death. And now I'm grappling with what I've once done. So now he gives these bits of wisdom like we see in Ecclesiastes 4. And he says this, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. He said, there's a way of a person of, of just trying to just go all in and just like, he says, it's better to have one handful. In other words, be content with what you have. And, and that word tranquil or tranquility is not really a word that we use. That comes from the a Hebrew word, nahat, meaning tranquility, comfort, peace, or rest. But we don't really use the word tranquility very much, but we use the word comfort and rest often. And he says, it's better to have the life that is, is, has just one handful of peace and rest and tranquility 
rather than two handfuls of trying to have more and more and more. And what he's pointing out is, he says, it's like chasing after the wind. It's futile. It's worthless. It's just exhaustive, and it will not provide for you what you think it will. You see, more is not better. Solomon is telling, this, telling us this. God is telling us this. More is not better. Better is better. More is not always better. And perhaps there are some things that we need to let go of in this season that would help us to be the people who are better positioned to enjoy Christmas and to enjoy family and to enjoy just all of the pleasantries that Christmas brings. I could summarize it by saying this. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and to have more of what does. There's an example in the scriptures. I invite you to go into Luke 12. We're going to look at Luke 12. I've got a couple different passages here as we're digging into this topic. In Luke 12, starting in verse 13, is where we're going to jump in just for a little bit. And we're going to talk about, uh, just read and study just briefly, the parable of the rich fool. Someone, as Jesus is, is giving this parable in this illustration, these words are in red. And, and I love how in Ecclesiastes, when Solomon would talk about certain things, he would go through, and it does have a, a serious or some say negative tone because he talks about eternity and death and, and life and, and the, the end of life. And many times we want to ignore those things. But yet Ecclesiastes always gives this perspective of there's a future event that's coming. And it's the future event, what we would hear about, about the gospel of grace that Jesus would bring about in the New Testament. So Ecclesiastes in itself, it, it always kind of points to grace is coming, grace is coming. And it's the grace of Jesus. In Luke 12, Jesus had another one of these epic interactions that he did when he was doing ministry. I love the fact that Jesus was never too busy doing something to avoid and, and avoid someone who was in front of him. And you see this here. Someone in the crowd, verse 13, said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? I can't help but, but even look at verse 13. And for the very first time in studying for this message, I was actually moved by this, by verse 13, although this is not the full point of even what Jesus is talking about. But I was moved by this particular verse because when there was someone in the crowd who said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And I thought, and I felt, and I just became very saddened to think of how many families implode grappling over an inheritance. And they argue over an inheritance. And they argue over petty things. And they argue over who gets a, a nasty old couch. And who gets the refrigerator that's 20 years old. And who gets the deep freeze. And who gets those tools. And who does all of these things. And I say this in some ways. In, in, in a way, I know it sounds funny. But I'm also I'm very saddened by this. Because we know that it exists. That people grapple over petty things at the loss of a loved one, but now they go in and they don't think about mourning the loved one. Instead, what they do is they go into the house or the garage and they think, what can I get? What can I get? And this situation here is that situation that, that we feel right now. 
And Jesus has this interaction. He says, man, who appointed me, verse 14, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, and this is the point, verse 15, watch out. Another translation says, beware. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The New Living Translation says, beware. In other words, be careful. Know what's going on. Know what's going on inside of you when, when you are tempted to, to want something from somebody else. And whether it's an inheritance or you want just something and you just have to have more and more and more and you're not content with what you have and it doesn't matter if it's if it's a video game system that you just can't wait to have or or some clothes that you can't wait to have or a car you can't wait to have or or something else that you just can't wait to have beware of what's going on inside of you because greed is creeping up and what Jesus says is life is not measured by how much you own Life is not measured by how much you own. He continues with this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. So he paints this picture of reality that we can all sit in. Of this this example of the certain rich man who produced a good crop. The ground was good for producing crop, like right here in central Illinois. He just couldn't wait to have a bigger silo. He just couldn't have to wait to have more machinery. He just couldn't wait to have another machine shed to hold that new machinery. He just couldn't wait to get that new combine, although the other one worked just fine. But he just wasn't satisfied, and he had to have more. And Jesus said, there's going to be a day where your life is no more. And what is truly going to be the value of those things? It won't really matter. Not nearly as much as what we may think that it will. Well, what if the stuff that you have is robbing you of the life that you want? What if the stuff that you have is actually robbing you of the life that you want? We all have a version of the good life. We do. Some of our our versions of the good life is very narcissistic. It's about us. Some of our versions of the good life has to do with Jesus and exalting him and glorifying him and everything that that we say and do. And there are more of us who are right in the middle where we weave back and forth. Let's be honest. Where sometimes it's about us and sometimes it's about, it's about him. And yet, we have to get to a place where we ask this question, what if the stuff that we have is actually robbing us of the life that we want? And most specifically, the life that offers God. 
I want to offer three different things and give you a scripture basis for all three of these. Three different things to help us in this season to maybe let go of some things that are, are holding us back. The first thing is to throw out what doesn't matter. Sometimes we just need to throw out what doesn't matter. We need to do a good old-fashioned purge, as some say. We need to just declutter some things that are maybe sticking to us that we just can't seem to live without, but yet in some ways it's getting in our way. Uh, It's getting in the way of our relationship with God. I'm not just talking about spring cleaning or a fall cleanup project before Christmas comes. I'm talking about the things in our lives that get in our way of our walk with God. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Jesus was talking about, and that's what Solomon was talking about. So there, there are times and seasons where we need to declutter or just de-own, just get rid of some things. And what's really interesting, there are people outside of the Christian faith who have been doing this for the last five years or so and actually making a lot of money at it at that. There's a woman by the name of Maria Kondo who is very famous for these two words, tidying up. And she sold many books and videos and YouTube and been on many podcasts teaching people, Christians and non-Christians, to better value things. To better value things and to be able to let go of the things that actually don't make it a positive difference in our life, but not to just hold on to them for the sake of holding on to them. So even people outside of Christianity are getting this right. There's the whole minimalist movement. Who's heard of the minimalist movement, the being a minimalist most of us have heard of that. Most of us have, have seen people who sold like houses that were typical houses and then they live in shipping containers, right? Like I'm not advocating that we have like a community of shipping containers. Just rest easy. I'm not. My stuff won't fit in a shipping container. My shipping container would have to have other shipping containers with it, which I think would defeat the purpose of having a shipping container. But remember that? That was, that was a fad. It kind of swept through. It's like, oh my goodness, I can just sell everything and go live in a shipping container. And then you realize, I have kids. Where am I going to put their stuff? No one, no one is ship, in those shipping containers has a crib. Not one of them. I, I mean, of the shows that I've watched, they don't. I mean, it may be like some fold-down contraption from the wall with like chains that goes down. It's like a little, you know, like a little cage attached to the side of the wall. No cribs right? No cribs whatsoever. Maybe some dogs. So I'm not even advocating for that. I'm not, I'm not advocating for, for a minimalist lifestyle for the sake of having a minimalist lifestyle. That is so shallow. What I'm advocating for is you and I should be able to get rid of the things that get in our way of our walk with God. And if that means we need to declutter and de-own or, or to relinquish, let go of some things, that, that are attached to us, that means we have to be able to do those things. This is what Jesus is getting at in this passage. The second thing I think we ought to do is just simply buy less. It's less to get rid of later on. We just need to buy less. Statistics show that 62% of people admit to shopping just to cheer themselves up. 62% of people shop just to cheer themselves up. That's a sad thing. I know some of you are like, I know that person. Or I am that person. 
Um, But I don't think we ought to do that. I don't think that it's okay that we just simply try and cheer ourselves up by going on a spending spree. Eventually, you run out of money. Eventually, you run out of time. Eventually, you run out of space. Eventually, that plan falls away. I believe what Jesus would have us do is actually buy less to begin with. And if we buy less to begin with, it's, it's less things that are just attached to us. You see, we fuel the fire of our discontentedness when we go out on these spending sprees. We fuel the, the fire of our discontentment with, with words like, well, it was a good deal. I just couldn't pass it up. Or like for me, when I used to work on airplanes and they had these, these three tool trucks that used to show up at varying points in the week outside of of the facility. And it was glorious. The trucks were shiny. Um, everything you'd buy on there was shiny. It was just so nice. And I, I remember that I would go out and, and when I was early in, in my days of, of being a mechanic, I had to actually buy some tools. And, and I didn't have necessarily a problem with that, but it was the things that I was buying to replace the things that I had already bought or to buy multiple things, that's the thing that had, I had an issue with. And I would go out to these tool trucks and, and I would be amazed on the tool truck. Um, I'm connecting with some folks right over here, I can tell. And, and so I would go on the tool truck and, and, and whether it was the Mack truck, the Matco truck or the Snap-on truck, just to say what it was. And I would go out there and everything was great and it was awesome. And, and you know what they had for me? They had such a deal. It didn't matter what you bought. They would put me on a $20 a week payment plan, no matter what I bought. And they would actually deliver the toolbox inside the hangar for me if I wanted them to. It was just $20 a week for the rest of my life. That was all it was. <laughs> Such a deal. I got caught up in that. Honestly, I got caught up in that for a little while. But then I started to realize, this is dumb. This is just flat out dumb because I could buy the things that I had to buy. I could actually buy things that actually didn't cost me as much money and I could pay cash for that rather than go on credit to pay for this other stuff. And then some of that other stuff, I just simply didn't have to buy, period. Because it was just me trying to to make myself look better or to try and fill my toolbox or, or try and compare myself with somebody else who was working next to me. But I had to make the decision, wasn't perfect in it, but I had to make the decision to just buy less. Psalm 119, 36 and 37 says this, Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Man, that's my hope for us today. Is that this would be true of us. That we would be the people who would just Say to God, turn my heart towards your statues and not towards selfish gain. Because the sin nature that's in all of us, all of our eyes are first fixated on, on selfish gain. That's how we enter this world. We enter this world as, as being narcissistic, being self-absorbed, and to be people who just do everything for ourselves. And my hope, and I believe... God's desire is for us to go to him and say, God, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from these worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. 
There's another passage of scripture that connects with this in Matthew 19. I'll just read it for you. No, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Verse 17, chapter 19. The man says, what do you ask? Uh, excuse me, he says, why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. He's excited at this point. And Jesus just mentions a few. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. This guy is stoked at this moment. He's like, I'm killing it in these areas. I'm doing it. He had to felt so good about himself right now. He's like, Jesus, like, I'm measuring up just fine. I, I, I'm like, I get it. Maybe I'm the one. The man says, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then, Jesus says, then come follow me. In other words, this man was not going to be able to follow Jesus or have a a lifestyle as a disciple of Jesus Christ if he had all of these things because it was his possessions that was holding him back. Because he hadn't learned to let go of things. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, you see, Jesus, he's speaking to this young man, and the young man just feels the weight of the consequences of of his actions and the fact that he's not willing to let go of them. And Jesus just pivots, and he goes right with the teaching point to his disciples. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. How sad for this man who, who loved things and he realized he was not willing to let go of those things to follow after and to be a disciple of Jesus. The same is true for you and I. We will not be disciples of Jesus if we're so caught up in the abundance of things or having things, if we have not learned to be content with the things that we do have, they will always be in tension of your your walking and being faithful to the call of God on your life, always. If you love things, those things have to be let go so you can actually do as Jesus said, come follow me. You see, the life Jesus died to give you is better than a life devoted to things. The life that Jesus died to give you is better than a life devoted to things. For us, you know, I could take you to, and I could just quote it for you, but I could take you to John 14, 6, when Jesus of the the seven I am statements, and he, he offers three of them right here, and Jesus says, I am the way. And he says, I am the truth and I am the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm the way. I, I'm, I offer the, Jesus is saying I, that he offers the way towards the good life that you want. And he says that, that he is the truth in a world that is just filled with lies. And, and, and a world now that just says, everything is true. And it's not all true. And Jesus says, no, I am the capital T, truth. I'm the the, the north star. Jesus is the north star to guide us. It's the truth of God's word. And and looking at 
at the Gospels and looking at the lifestyle, and when Jesus would talk about the kingdom of life, or excuse me, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is the good life. The kingdom of God is the good life. That is the good life. It is still the life that is on offer. And Jesus said, not only I am the way, and he said, I am also the truth. He says, I am the life. And not only the life and the way to get to, to heaven, which is true, but also the way to live a life that is honoring to him and is also good for you and good for other people. That's what Jesus is offering here. Because his version of the good life is the kingdom of God. If you are, are before, if you're just confused and you just like don't know what I mean by the kingdom of God, read the Gospels. Read the New Testament. All these references. When Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like or the kingdom of heaven is like, these are the things that are on offer. This is, this is what he has on offer for us today. Not just in heaven. There, there's many of us who may be theologically right, but yet we're practically wrong because we're theologically right. We're knowing we're just waiting to go to heaven, but we're practically wrong where we're living as if we're actually dead in our sins and not alive in Christ. Jesus' version of the good life has to do with the kingdom of God and us living in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, no one indeed can go into heaven and be eternally right with God the Father except through Jesus. You can't through your own merit. You can't through, through a bit of generosity. You can't by trying to be a good moral person. You can't. All of those efforts will fall miserably short. Because it isn't that you are just a little bit separated away from God because of your sins. You are a lifetime, a multitude of lifetimes separated from God because of your sins. And the only way you can be made right with God the Father is by denying yourself, taking up your cross in the words of Jesus and following him. How do you do that? You first admit that you're a sinner. You admit that Jesus is, was the savior of the world, that he died on the cross, acknowledging that he, he died on the cross to take away your sin debt. And also agreeing with God that no longer are you going to live your own life, but you're going to live his life through you and accepting him as the Lord of your life. Confessing your sin, repenting, turning away from your old lifestyle, and running towards God in the new lifestyle and the good life he offers. That's the kingdom of God. That's where it starts. Someone from history said this, Bernard of Clairvaux. He said, he thinks only what he wants and he does not ask himself whether he ought to want it. He's talking about, in a, in a philosophical way, he's saying he, there's, there's a person who, who thinks only of what he wants, but he doesn't ask himself the better question. Should I actually want it? Should I actually want it? Should I want those things? Should I want to upgrade this? Should I want more of this? This person from history is getting to the deeper elements in the place, I think, where Jesus would like to take us as well. Because the most important thing in your life is not what you own. It's who you become. It's who you become. Because it's who you become that you take into eternity.
It's who you become that you take into eternity. Dallas Willard, preacher and philosopher, he said, you're becoming who you will be forever. You're becoming who you will be forever. Man, if there's anything that, that, that God would try and get your attention so you can tighten up your relationship with Jesus, I think this would be it. If there was anything to maybe wake you up spiritually so you say, okay, I, I, this is who I'm becoming is who I'm taking into eternity. If there's anything that this should wake you up spiritually, I think it would be this point. If there was anything that, that would get you to stop thinking about yourself in a narcissistic, selfish way, if there was anything that would cause you to pause and turn away from the life that you're living and receive the better life that Jesus has on offer, I would think it would be this. But I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I'm not you. Here's what I found as, as a pastor now for a lot of years. I can want a lot of things for a lot of people and them not actually embrace anything I want for them. And I've exhausted myself trying to help people I've exhausted uh, my efforts of praying for people. I've exhausted myself in so many ways. And I believe in just pouring myself out. And God wanted me to do a lot of those things. Not all of those things, but a lot of those things. And yet all in the middle of that, one thing that I found out, it's up to you to yield to God. Because I'm not the Holy Spirit. Man, I've tried. I've tried. I'm just not good at it. I'm just, I fall short of being the Holy Spirit. But it's up to you to yield to the Holy Spirit. Willard is right. You're becoming who you'll be forever. It's because your character that you actually take into eternity, not your things. Another wise man from history said this, you can spend your whole life climbing the ladder of success only to find out that when you get to the top, it's leaning against the wrong wall. Another passage of Scripture, I'm almost through. I invite you to go into your Bible further into the right into your Bible, 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Um, I'm going to read it. Or if you, you're nervous about getting there because I'm going to get there before you, that's fine. I'll read it. No worries. No judgment. A lot of scripture this morning. Context of this passage is there's a gentleman by the name of Paul. He's a little bit older, and he, he's teaching his his mentor by the name of Timothy. Timothy was pastoring a church in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesians, the book of, of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians. Those six short chapters actually have to do with what was uh, going on in the situation that Timothy is in the middle of. And this is one of the things that Paul said to Timothy, his, his protege. He said this. He says, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, notice he says this, switches the word, verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. All of this is to help us see. It's throughout the Bible. 
When you chase after things, you leave God behind. And you, you can't be divided in that way. You're, you're only going to serve one master. Which one are you going to serve? The thing I think to help us to take, uh, or to bring this home, first was to throw out, second is to buy less, and last is to give more. It's to give more. It's just to give more. Because when we give, we just reflect the heart of Jesus to the world because God is a giver. When the people of God needed a prophet, God sent a prophet. When the people of God needed a judge, he sent a judge. When the people of God needed a a righteous king, he sent David and many others. When the people of God were stuck in slavery and and, and the people of God needed a leader, God brought Moses. So many examples. But when the people needed a redeemer, God generously provided his son. As the greatest rescue attempt in all of humanity and for all time to rescue you and I from our sins and to rescue you and I from the love of stuff. Are you gathering more on earth that you cannot keep or are you investing in heaven that which you cannot lose? That's the question for today. Are you gathering more on earth that you cannot keep Are you investing in heaven that which you cannot lose? You know, messages like this, it's like a gotcha for all of us. Because we all feel it. If you don't feel it, there's probably some other things going on there that you're unaware of. But we feel it. We feel like, okay, what, what do I do? I don't know what you need to do. I can offer the word of God to you. I can talk about how great it is, the the life of the kingdom of God and the good life that Jesus has on offer. But it's up to you to yield to him. I invite you to stand now. This Christmas, let's let, go, let's let go of what doesn't matter and let's hold on to more of what does. What is God spurring you to do today? Is there an act of repentance that you need to follow through on today? Maybe you don't even know Jesus and, and you've just tried to just become a good person and thinking, well, if I die and I'm a good person, God's going to look at me and he's going to compare me to Hitler and he's going to say, well, wow, I was a pretty good person. It's not the way salvation works because God isn't comparing you to an individual because if you're apart from Jesus, he just sees the sin that holds you back. 
He loves you, but he also sees the sin that separates you from him. Maybe the act of repentance today for you just to begin this spiritual journey is to come forward and say, you know what, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. For you to be saved, maybe that's what you need to do and just come forward and say, I need to be saved. You need to come talk to me. You need to come talk to Marla. You need to come talk to one of the other leaders. You just say, I need need to be saved. I need to be saved today. But maybe for you, you just, maybe your act of repentance is just to go to God and say, God, you know what? I've been living my life for the abundance of things. And maybe just an act of obedience would be coming forward during this ministry time to say, God, I'm just going to come forward and make public of something that you're doing inside of me. Maybe you don't even know what it is you're supposed to do. You just feel like there's something you need to do. Let today be the beginning of that journey. And let this moment be the moment where maybe you start to understand and you live in the reality of what Jesus said the good life truly is. The altars are open. Pray if you need to pray. Just don't neglect what the Spirit's doing.